the radical claims of Jesus, coming up today on A Daily Walk. There are many misconceptions concerning Jesus today. People say Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher, a great moral, spiritual leader. However, Jesus would not have been good if his words and his claims were not true. And the claims that Jesus made were exclusive. They were radical. Jesus claimed to be the one exclusive way to heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That is exclusive in its nature. That claim is radical claim. Good to be with you today, and welcome to A Daily Walk. One of the most dangerous deceptions being circulated around these days is the idea that there's more than one way to get to heaven. You can be a good person and get there, they say. Others suggest there is no hell. So what are the requirements for entrance into heaven? And what are the rewards for those who go there? If we want the truth, the Bible is the place to turn. Here's Pastor John Randall in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, looking at verse 18, Jesus speaking, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. When Jesus Christ was upon the earth, he preached and proclaimed that there was a kingdom that was coming. Throughout Luke's gospel, we have highlighted this fact many times. But the kingdom that was coming was a kingdom wherein he would be the king. It was not a kingdom like those within this world that is ruled and governed by man, but rather it was a kingdom that would be governed and ruled by God. And this kingdom, Jesus said, would last forever. As Jesus spoke about the kingdom often, he also revealed how it was that a person could actually become a member have entrance into his kingdom. And the statement that we just read a moment ago is a critical one. For Jesus here declares that there are those who will not enter the kingdom unless, unless they receive the kingdom as a little child. What did Jesus mean by this? Unless you become like a little child, you will by no means enter this kingdom. It would seem to imply that there are certain childlike qualities that are found in those who are a part of God's kingdom. Certain characteristics that can be observed in children that would also be observed in the life of true believers. A couple of characteristics that come to mind. First of all, that of humility. It's having an understanding that when I come before this king, I have nothing to offer him. I come humbly. I am not gaining access into this kingdom because of my greatness, but rather because of humility an understanding of who I am and who he is. I am not worthy of this salvation. I am humbled before him. And humility is a prerequisite to salvation. God, the Bible tells us, resists the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. Another characteristic that is necessary, and I think seen often within a child, is that of childlike faith. Children often model a dependence and faith in certain ways. A child does not 
worry about whether their Cheerios will be in the cupboard when they get up. They just go to it, and there it is. They're not thinking about it. Did you, did you get Cheerios? Did you get milk? What are we going to do? Kids don't really worry about it. They just assume and trust that that will be taken care of. There is a sense of dependence that they have, and it's very wonderful to observe. We are to have a childlike faith as well, a faith that takes God at his word and believes that what he has said will come to pass. I believe that I am a sinner. Bible tells me that. But I also believe that Jesus came and died for my sins. And the Bible also says that he rose again from the dead. I believe that. And I also believe that by putting my faith and trust in Christ for salvation, surrendering my life to him, I have the forgiveness of sins. I am saved. I have the hope of heaven. That's a childlike faith. Some people, they don't have that. They're just too intellectual for their own good. They can't ever come to that place of understanding the gospel. The gospel is so profound that even even a child can understand it, and yet even the most intelligent person can also grasp it, but you have to come with a childlike faith. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but it's a known fact that most decisions are made for Christ at an early age. In fact, A survey was done, and it was estimated that, listen, 19, 19 out of 20 people became Christians before the age of 25. When you got to the age of 25, one in 10,000. At 35, one in 50,000. At 45, one in 200,000. And by the time you reach the age of 75, one in 700,000. The point made through this survey that the majority of decisions are made for Christ at a young age. And if you're going to make a decision, you come with this faith and trust that God is able to save you, not because of the works of righteousness that you have done, but according to his mercy. Well, we find here this morning that one man probably was listening to what Jesus had said about coming like a little child to be able to enter the kingdom. And he approaches Jesus in verse 18. Now, a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. This encounter that Jesus has with this man is recorded in more than one gospel. And when you put all of the gospel accounts together, you'd get a clear understanding of what actually happened during this meeting. Luke tells us that this man was a ruler. And the Greek word that he uses here means the man had some sort of preeminence. In another gospel, it is the same word used for a person who was chief over a synagogue. Perhaps this man, that was his occupation. He was chief over a synagogue. We do not know, but he did have some sphere of influence within his community, and he had some sort of position of power that was well-respected in that society. He had achieved a certain level of success. Matthew's gospel tells us that he was a young man in the 19th chapter. It says that, which meant he was somewhere between boyhood and middle age. This may indicate that he had achieved his power and authority early on, even surpassing his contemporaries. But then Mark's gospel reveals, finally, that he was wealthy. 
When you put all three of these together, you understand that's why people call him the rich, young ruler. They get that because they look at all the gospels combined. But for all of this thing, all of the things that this man had going for him, all of the possessions that he had, all of the blessings that he had, this man knew something was missing from his life. He knew that there was something that he did not have, that he did not possess. And this is what brought him to Jesus. This is what brought him to Jesus to ask Jesus what was missing from his life. There's something that that I just am not finding. Do you know people like that? Man, they look all over this world to find the the one thing that they can't seem to find. They may have everything that they could want. They have a great family. They have a nice house. They have this or they have that. But they still know there's this emptiness inside. And that emptiness, friend, that void is there because God put it there. God is only big enough to fill that emptiness. And people, they look in different places and, and different things to try to fill that void that only God can fill. This man came to Jesus missing something. And we find that when he came, he came very sincere. The Bible tells us that he came and he fell at the feet of Jesus, takes this position of humility before him. He was also very respectful. He called Jesus a good teacher. But we also find that he asked the right question. He said, what can I do to inherit eternal life? There is not a more important question that needs to be answered than that one today. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you ought to be asking this question. What do I do to inherit eternal life? And the reason why you ought to ask that question is because when you die, life does not end. Life goes on. Death is simply the doorway into eternity. And what you decide concerning Jesus Christ and his work upon the cross will determine your ultimate destiny. Do you know that you have eternal life in heaven? You will have eternal life. The Bible makes that clear. And the Bible also tells us there's only one of two places that you will spend your eternal life. One place is called hell. The other place, heaven. And friend, you want to be in heaven. And the Lord wants you to be in heaven. And that's why Jesus came and died, so that you could be there. Jesus responds to this young man, and he says to him in verse 19, Why is it that you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. Culturally speaking, it was not proper for an individual to call a rabbi good. For it was believed that goodness belonged to God alone. And at this point, this young ruler did not truly know who Jesus was. Maybe he was seeking to flatter him. We don't know what his motivation was. But it is also important to point out that Jesus did not deny being called good. He's simply asking to make sure that this man knows what he's saying. In essence, Jesus is saying, do you realize that by calling me good that I'm God? Jesus never denied his deity. Jesus never walked away from that. In fact, the reason why his enemies were opposed to him and sought to crucify him was because they said, you being a man, make yourself equal with God. There was no confusion on the part of Jesus' enemies that he claimed to be absolute deity. This man called Jesus good teacher. That was an understatement. And there are many misconceptions concerning Jesus today. People say Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher, a great moral, spiritual leader. However, Jesus would not have been good if his words and his claims were not true. And the claims that Jesus made were exclusive. They were radical. Jesus claimed to be the one exclusive way to heaven. 
He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That is exclusive in its nature. That claim is radical claim. And so if this young man's calling him good, he wouldn't be good unless his claims were true. Furthermore, as we said, Jesus claimed to be total deity. So if he's not deity, then his claims that he's making would not make him a good man, would they? But we believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he is God, a very God, and he is the one way to heaven. But this young ruler asked Jesus a question. What must I do that I might inherit eternal life? The other gospel says, he said, what good work shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? And the language here implies that he was expecting Jesus to prescribe for him some great deed that he could do that would settle things with God once and for all. What good work can I do? Just tell me what it is. You know, some people think that they're getting to heaven on the basis of their good works. They have this understanding, misunderstanding, I might add, that my good works, what, are going to outweigh my bad works. That somehow in heaven, there's a scale up there, God sets it up, and he takes all of my bad works and all of my good works, and whatever way the scale goes, that will determine whether I'm in or not. Let me just give you a newsflash here. There is not one good work that you could do that could earn your salvation. Not one. The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Your good works are not going to save you no matter how good they are. They're not good enough. I'm sorry. I'm speaking on on the authority of the scriptures. Jesus said, here's the work. Here's the work that you can do. John chapter six, Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe that you believe on him whom the Father has sent. That's the only thing. That's the only thing that's going to save you, a faith in the finished work of Jesus. Salvation is outside of you and me. Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. But this man comes with this misconception. What good work can I do? There isn't one. But Jesus engages in conversation with him in verse 20, and he says to him, well, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Don't bear false witness honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. Jesus lists the law, at least some of the law of God. One tablet of the law that dealt with this man's relationship to his fellow man. And as this man looked and heard the law, he hadn't stolen, he hadn't committed adultery, he hadn't murdered anybody. He was respectful to his parents And he even said to Jesus, all these things I have guarded. It's a word meaning to like a military man standing at post. I have guarded these things in my life. I have kept these commandments that you've just said. I've never killed anybody. I've never outwardly done any of these things. There are many people today that look at the law of God and think because I have not done this or done that, then I must be acceptable for the kingdom of God. This man had never heard Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount about the real true nature of the law. The law goes beyond the externals to the internal. It's one thing, I don't do this, I don't do that. Jesus said, if you do these things in your heart, you have committed them. A man who hates his brother in his heart has murdered him already in his heart. And the fact that it makes its way out into his actions is an indication he's broken the law. When did he break the law? Internally, that's when it was broken. That's when sin happened. It just was carried out later on. This man did not understand that. And even after Jesus had pointed to these commandments, he still knew that something was missing. One of the other gospels records, he said, what do I still lack? He knew, I've I've done all these things, but I know that's not all that there is. I love what Mark's gospel says at this point. 
Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus looked at this man and he loved him. That blesses me. To know that Jesus knew this guy was so zealous and he really had a desire and he had all these questions, but he was wrong and he didn't understand it. But Jesus looked at him and it says that he loved him. He loved this guy. And I want you to know something today. Jesus loves you as well. You say, that's so elementary. That's so simple. Yes, it is. But don't you ever forget it. The fact that God loves you changes everything. God in his nature is love. Maybe you came in here this morning and you think, God hates me. God is just waiting for me to mess up so he can pound me. It's not so. God is waiting for you to come to him. He loves you. He loves you, and the cross demonstrates that once and for all. You may be even a backslidden Christian here this morning. You haven't picked up your Bible in a long time. And you're sitting here, and you're getting all uncomfortable, and you know things are happening, and your body language is moving, and now you're suddenly still. But listen, <laughs> listen, God loves you. Or you may be the most religious, self-righteous, purist. God loves you too. And he's seeking to draw you to himself. He loves you. Jesus, in verse 22, it says, he heard these things and he said to him, you still lack one thing. And then he said, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Two essential conditions that Jesus imposed upon the young man. And the second could not be done without the first being taken care of. There was something standing in the way of this young, powerful man following Jesus. We come to find out that it was his possessions. He was very wealthy and he had many possessions, but these possessions bound him. They kept him from truly following after the Lord. You remember Jesus said, don't do this and don't do that. He mentioned the first tablet of the law, but the other portion of the law, this man had broken. You shall have no other gods before, you, before me. And, and he had another God before him. He had an idol. It was his possessions. That was the God that he was serving. And this God that he was serving would keep him back from truly following after the Lord. Oh, great qualities, great leadership experience, or, and, and whatever else he had going for him, there was something standing between him and really following after Jesus. Let me ask you something. Is there anything standing between you and following after Jesus? Is there something this morning that you are holding on to that is keeping you back from fully following after the Lord? If there is, let me tell you something. It's not worth it. It's holding you back. It may not be the possessions that you own. It may be a relationship that you're in. It may be the things that you're engaged in that you are not willing to part with. It's holding you back from, from what God wants to do, what God could to do. Why will you hold on to that? The Bible says, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets you and run the race with endurance that is set before you, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. It's not worth holding on to. You need to let it go. You need to let that go. Whatever that is, whatever the Spirit of God is making application in your heart right now, this minute, the Lord's speaking to you, you need to deal with that because it's holding you back. It's holding you back from everything God wants to do and could do. And you don't want to live that way. You don't want to live in, in the what could have been. You want to live in what God can do and wants to do right now in your life. And there is nothing in this world that you would it'd be worth holding on to and missing out on all that God has for you. It's just not worth it. 
And for some of us, we can say uh, by experience, sadly, that there were things that we held on to that held us back. But when Jesus, when we turn those things over to Jesus, everything changed. And we've never been the same. Jesus says to this young man, he puts his desires to the test. He says, why don't you take care of this God in your life and then come follow me. And the word for follow here means to walk the same road with me. What an invitation. I'm going to make you a personal disciple. You can come walk the same road that I'm walking. It's a road of separation. It's a road of self-denial. It's a narrow road. There's not a lot of people on it. But if you want all that I have for you, come and follow me. Have you responded to that call of Jesus? When he said to you, follow me. What happened next is seen in verse 23. It says, but when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. Mark 10 tells us he was sad at this word and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. There was visible pain that was seen in this man's face. The price was too great for him. The cost was too much. For all of the people who have ever come to Jesus that we see in the gospel, had ever come and fallen at the feet of Jesus, this is the one man who went away worse than better. In fact, someone referred to this passage right here when he walks away from Jesus as the great refusal. And forever this man would be haunted by what could have been. And sadly, this story is too often repeated. Those who are searching, finally coming to Christ, confronted with leaving the old world behind and, and following the Lord, they choose to walk away. I, I just can't, I can't do that right now. I can't, I can't pay that price. I don't think I can carry on like that. But you will find that there's nothing worth holding on to that would hold you back. If there's anything standing between you and your relationship with Jesus, you need to deal with it today. Don't put it off any longer. Don't wait. Do it now. Do it now. And God will bless your obedience to his word. Now, following this encounter with this rich young ruler, Jesus gives an explanation to his disciples. Look at the next few verses. In verse 24, and when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter into the kingdom of God. In fact, he said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, well, who then can be saved? And he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Jesus makes a statement that I believed probably startled the disciples. He said, it's difficult for those who are rich to enter in the kingdom of God. And the reason why it startled them is because in their minds, the person that was financially prosperous was a person that had the hand of God upon their life. And so when they heard Jesus say, it's difficult for those people who are prospering, who they assumed had the hand of God on their life to get into the kingdom, they thought, well, who can be saved? If that guy's not getting in, what about us? That was really their concern. Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Offering hope and encouragement for your daily walk, that is Pastor John Randall. And this is A Daily Walk. We're going through the Bible right now. You can order a CD copy of this message by calling 877-242-0828. 
You can also listen to our recent programs on our website at adailywalk.org. We also offer John's teachings by podcast, and we have an app, too. To get our app, do a search for Calvary South OC. I should also mention John is on Twitter and Instagram. You can start following him on Twitter at pjrandall7 and on Instagram at John P. Randall. With all that's been going on in the Middle East and Israel, many are inquiring about end times Bible prophecy. And we want to get a good book into your hands on this subject from our friend Barry Stagner. It's The Time of the Signs, a chronology of Earth's final events. When the disciples asked Jesus how to anticipate his return, he gave them an incredible answer that we stand to benefit from. They asked him about the signs of his coming and the end times, what should they expect to take place? In The Time of the Signs, Barry Stagner explores the events that will precede Jesus' return. We'll send it to you for the special price of $12. Call us at 877-242-0828 or go online to adailywalk.org. Thank you for your prayerful and financial support of A Daily Walk. It really is having an impact. With your help, we're able to reach thousands with the truth and love of Christ at a time they really need to hear it. If you'd like to donate to the ministry, please go to adailywalk.org or call us at 877-242-0828. And you know, we are very grateful to the Lord when we hear back from our listeners. Write to Pastor John today by email at adailywalk.org at gmail.com. He loves to read listener letters and emails. Let him know what's going on in your life and how we can pray for you at adailywalk at gmail.com. Maybe you're one of our new listeners. Let us know what you think of A Daily Walk when you write to us at adailywalk at gmail.com. Well, that'll do it for this edition of A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall. May God richly bless you and strengthen you in your daily walk. Join us next time as we continue our journey through the Bible. This program is brought to you by Calvary South OC and made possible through the support of our listeners.